Hey there humans, and welcome back to the Astro Tavern, or if this is your first time joining us, then welcome to the Astro Tavern. So today I found myself a little bit conflicted. I had a couple of things that I was considering talking about. I recently saw The Color Out of Space, which is an adaptation of the Lovecraftian novel of the same title, but something about it I didn't want to cover quite yet because I still want to simmer on it a little bit longer. And then I also considered talking about the show Hannibal, previously on NBC, but I haven't quite finished that either yet. I'm up to season three, about halfway through, and almost to the end of season three, which is where it ended before it got canceled. And so as a result, I'm in a very weird place right now. I decided today we're not going to do a deep dive like we usually do. We're not going to talk about themes of anything. We're not going to do any of that heavy stuff that we've done so far. Instead today, what we're going to do is something a little bit different, where we're just going to talk about 10 movies that I recommend from 2019. Now I know this is a little bit different, usually we kind of focus in on one single thing, be it a movie or a concept or we've done like D&D before, things of that nature. This is going to be a lot more chill than that. It's going to be an easy day today. So basically, I compiled a list of movies all from 2019 that really resonated with me in some way and that I just kind of recommend and hopefully you'll either be intrigued by them or maybe you've seen them already and you also like them too, in which case we can talk about that some kind of way. I'm still figuring out exactly how this is going up, but you know, technology. So in any case, with no further ado, because I don't know how long this is going to go, because I tend to ramble, as I'm sure you're aware, let's hop right into it. So the first movie I want to recommend, and this isn't really a 1 through 10 or a 10 through 1 kind of thing, although there's definitely some biases that you'll notice in there. The first one I want to recommend is the massively successful and massively praised Parasite. For the uninitiated, Parasite is a movie that was released in 2019 by director Bong Joon-ho, who is a Korean director who's actually had a lot of success in America as well with certain movies such as The Host and Snowpiercer and uh, Okja as well. And if you haven't heard about this movie, then I really gotta ask where you've been. It won four awards in 2019, I believe it was Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Director, and then also Best Foreign Film, I want to say. And really, it's just this fascinating analysis of these two families, one very wealthy and one very poor, and seeing how they begin to interact with one another as the son of the impoverished family gets a job with the wealthier family, and over time he slowly finds ways to get jobs for all of his family members with this wealthier family, even though they do not realize that they're all related. And it's that's probably all I'm going to spoil from there. It's a very simple concept that goes in some wild directions, but the nuance of themes and ideas is really, it speaks for itself. And again, we're not going to go into all of that today, but if you haven't heard about it, I mean, it's kind of revered by a lot of people to be the best movie that came out in 2019. If you're really looking for an enjoyable story, but also something that has a lot of very fine craft in film, highly recommend it. So going on to the next one, number nine, I guess, I still don't know if this is really a list format, we're going to go ahead and talk about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Now, if you haven't heard of the John Wick franchise, basically imagine Keanu Reeves of Speed fame, The Matrix, and so on, and imagine that he did a lot of training, became very good with a lot of different weapons, and then someone hurt his dog. And there you have the John Wick franchise. It is a simple enough revenge story in the first one that evolves over and over with some of the greatest world building, action, cinematography, and filmmaking that we've seen in probably many would argue years and decades, but it's just very 
finely done and very well crafted. The director is actually a previously a stunt coordinator before they took on the John Wick franchise and Keanu Reeves has worked very closely with him in kind of different trainings and learning to handle these different weapons and so he does all of his own work and all of his own stunts in it. And John Wick Chapter 3 is just the icing on the cake of Chapter 1 which starts off as this very narrow focused story about revenge. The second chapter which goes into more of the lore of the world that John Wick exists within. And then chapter three is just capping off the story that they've had thus far. So again, an amazing one that is just a thrill ride, truly a mile a minute. So many different things happen and you go to so many different places and you have so many likable and charming characters who are just assassins that you probably shouldn't like but you do. It's simply staggering. Hey there, future Keanu here. So I actually wanted to specify it because I realized I never did, but John Wick is a former hitman, the Baba Yaga or the Boogeyman as referred to a lot of people, and that's why he has all these skills within the movie universe. I realized I never actually specified that, so yeah, future Keanu out. Now next up is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and if I'm being honest, this one I really consider doing a full recording of just to talk about in depth, because this movie is difficult to talk about in short bursts. Basically, it focuses on, as directed by Quentin Tarantino, the fall of the golden age of Hollywood, as well as the Manson murders and the murder of Sharon Tate, as that kind of went parallel to the fall of the golden age of Hollywood. And the main thing that I want to say is that Tarantino handles it, I think, as respectfully as you can and as tastefully. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of revisionist history in there for sure. But we see that a lot with a lot of Tarantino's movies, including things such as The Hateful Eight, as well as um, Inglorious Bastards, where you literally saw Hitler be killed. And so you kind of know what you're getting into. I mean, the title of the movie is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so if you don't realize this is a fairy tale going in, then I don't know what to tell you, and I also just did tell you, so enjoy that. But if you're into Tarantino, if you're into these over-the-top and very caricatured kind of worlds that he will build, then this is going to be a blast for you. You probably will enjoy every minute. A lot of it really is just enjoying the magnetic energy of seeing Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate on the screen and seeing them exist in this age. But yeah, other than that, I'm not going to go into more detail because I would really be spoiling a lot, but check it out. It's definitely a interesting one if you're into that kind of movie. Now next up is Joker, and this one brings me to a point that I didn't mention earlier. All of these movies I would consider are movies that I enjoy and that I would happily rewatch basically at any time and that I would happily recommend to somebody else. Now Joker is maybe the one exception to that rule, <laughs> so I know that sounds kind of bad, but what I mean by that is Joker is very much a movie that I think people need to be in the right mood for. It is a very glum movie, it is a very somber movie, and it's very difficult to watch at times. You see Joaquin Phoenix as he portrays Arthur Fleck, aka the person who will eventually become the Joker, and he does not have a good life. He lives in a very difficult town, Gotham City, and Gotham City is very much portrayed as a creature in and of itself. It's grimy, it is crime-ridden, it is inequitable, and it is just painful to exist here. And the Joker is not what I'd say is perfection in cinema by any means, there's certainly a lot of flaws with it. But it's just fascinating to see, one, this descent into madness of Arthur Fleck as portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix, and also just to see this world that they created. And really the highest praise that I give to this movie is Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, because he is simply amazing. Now, I've heard a few people have had issues with his portrayal, but by and large, I think the consensus is that it was really just a tour de force and really amazing to watch. 
So this one, I definitely put an asterisk on it, but it's still a lot of fun. And if you like some comic book goodness, which I think we all know I'm very much a shill for anything comic book related, then check it out. Now, on the subject of comic books, we are going to go into the main event, the event that was, what, 10, 11 years in the making from last year, Avengers Endgame. This is the culmination of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is the ending of all these stories, the catharsis for Captain America, for Iron Man. After the snap and what happened with Thanos in Avengers Infinity War, we finally get to see how people deal with that and what happens after these five years that have passed. Also, spoiler alert, there's a time skip in the movie. But if you haven't seen Endgame at this point, it literally made over billions of dollars. Then I don't know what to tell you. But in any case, if you want to revisit it, it is such a good one and it really just adds so much catharsis every time you see it. The final battle, the final return of all these different characters, it really just is enjoyable every time. People screamed in my theater. I think I saw it three or four times in theaters. Yeah, I'm one of those people, unfortunately. And it's just, there's so much to praise about it. It's so hard to balance all those different storylines and all those different characters, and yet somehow they managed to do it and be respectful to every single one of them, and that is to be commended. Also, side note that I always tell all of my friends and remind them of, after I walked out of Infinity War after seeing it with them, I definitely told them that the name of that movie was going to be Endgame before it was announced. But anyways, that's a whole aside. So more importantly, moving on to the next one, here's where we start to get into some of the maybe less seen and less well regarded or less noted, I guess, in especially the Oscar season and things of that nature. But as we move into the next one, The Lighthouse is a movie that is very hard to define. It is basically two men on an island working a lighthouse as portrayed by Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And everybody who I've seen this movie with, or who's also seen this movie and I've talked with, agree that this is the movie that convinced them, one, that Robert Pattinson is a spectacular actor, and also people who've agreed that Willem Dafoe is not just Green Goblin. He is so immensely talented, and honestly, if you see a lot of his other work, you could agree with that. But this movie is just these two characters playing off of each other, and it is truly beautiful to look at from the cinematography to the performances themselves to just the imagery that it will leave you with it's honestly very disturbing and that will very much be reflected in another movie that's on here as well but it's just such a fascinating character study especially and it has a lot of very heavy themes that again we won't get into but things such as the story of prometheus and the idea of insanity and these very lovecraftian themes of what it means to simply exist that it gets into it can be interesting in points where you are questioning what you're even watching but I feel like a lot of good movies can really do that and this one does it very well so highly recommend The Lighthouse it for a while was my number one movie of last year and it's still probably in the top three at this point but it's definitely different from most of the movies that you will see on a regular basis now Knives Out is not gonna hit you in the heart or anything like that it's not gonna make you question who you are nothing of that nature it is just an old-school, good old-fashioned, whodunit mystery. The thing I love about this movie is that it is so simple. It sets up all of your characters, this very wealthy family, who are all basically a mixture of children or married-in family members, of this very wealthy author who used to do murder mystery novels. And if that is not just the funniest and greatest setup of a whodunit in and of itself, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Daniel Craig portrays a detective, uh, Detective LeBlanc, who just comes in and has this amazing accent and he just is magnetic from the moment you see him on screen. 
you have all these different characters and it actually very much balances all of their different agendas and ideas and things of that nature without ever breaking its own rules. Everything that happens makes a lot of sense and interestingly you actually know who did it very early on in the film and I'm not going to spoil exactly how it balances that but it's one of the best twists that I've ever seen in a murder mystery movie because it isn't the only point. Like it's not really the point of figuring out who did it, it's also a point about figuring out why they did it and what happened. And so it really adds a lot of layers of contextualization and so many little details. There's a point where characters will mention certain things and they have this older grandma who will just mutter random things and you'll be like, what is she talking about? It doesn't make any sense. And you assume it's just either dementia or something of that nature and it all comes back full circle and it's just so, so excellently done. So props to Ryan Johnson for this one. I know he got a lot of flack for The Last Jedi. Personally, I didn't have too many issues with that movie, even as a Star Wars fan of the old school, but you know. Now, Midsommar is a difficult movie to watch, if I'm being honest. One of the first scenes that you see in it is our main character, Florence Pugh's family members, all dying in a rather unfortunate way. And this sense and idea of grief is something that continues throughout the entire movie. See, the main character and her boyfriend, the boyfriend was actually planning to break up with her, and yet as she's going through this grieving process, he does not want to leave her alone, and so they end up going on this trip along with the boyfriend's numerous other friends as well to Sweden for a midsummer festival, as mentioned by one of the friends who is originally from that area in Sweden. And it very much follows their experience here as she is still grieving and dealing with all of this as he is also dealing with the kind of crumbling of their relationship and his own concerns outside of that. And overall, this movie is very hard to put in a box. It covers a lot of different themes and the execution by Ari Aster, who also was a masterclass as he directed um, Hereditary, is really to be commended. I mean, there's so many little details throughout this entire movie. It's very much one of those movies that I highly recommend people watch at least twice, if not more than that because of all the little details in the background and the foreshadowing and the storytelling that will already be present and will actually tell you pieces of the story that you may not understand otherwise. Now, the ending of this movie especially is insane. It is just ridiculously crazy. And yet everything is based off of historical literature or practices and things of that nature from the area. Aster apparently did a whole lot of research with that, which is again to be respected and commended. But this one is a tough one to watch. I'll be honest with y'all, this one's very much horror or psychological horror, however you want to define it, and it is easily the, I'll say second most uncomfortable movie that I've watched probably in my life, but of last year we'll put in this uh, kind of bracket. So next up comes The Farewell, and The Farewell is the movie I was talking about when I was saying probably that Midsommar is the second most uncomfortable movie for me to watch because The Farewell feels strangely intimate and very invasive to watch for me personally. The thing about The Farewell is that it follows our main character as portrayed by Aquafina, and she is informed that her grandmother is dying or anticipated to die. And so the family decides not to tell the grandmother, but they instead actually have a gathering to celebrate her basically passing, but they put it under the guise of a cousin of Aquafina's character getting married. And so basically it follows this whole idea of not being truthful with the family member in order to preserve their happiness. 
And as we go through, we meet a lot of different characters who talk about how this is a cultural practice and that this is kind of a regular thing. So even though Aquafina's character is very much in disagreement and thinks they should tell her grandmother, a lot of people say this is completely normal. And even there's a very poignant scene that I remember where one of the doctors that they're working with tells them, yeah, no, we did this with my, I believe, grandfather or grandmother, and when I pass, I expect the same thing will happen to me. And it's this very, very difficult movie to watch for me in particular, just because it very much talks about a lot of the morality of what it means to be honest with people as they are passing and kind of preserving their happiness. But even more so, it feels almost as if you're watching a home video in a lot of ways. I mean, don't get me wrong, the cinematography is still majestic and fantastic and amazing to look at, but it's so oddly intimate, and at a point I realized as I was watching the movie, I genuinely didn't think that this was a movie anymore. I thought I was just watching these people interact with each other. It feels so natural and so honest in so many ways, and that's really to be commended by everyone who performs in this movie, that I don't think I ever really want to rewatch it, because I felt like I was stepping in on their family's occurrence, and I was an outsider looking in. And that's really rare for me a lot of the time, and it really makes it very poignant for me when watching movies because I love that feeling that I'm seeing this very real event or something that happened that is just a part of these people's lives that is very much truthful and honest with it. And that very much pulls me into the next movie, which will be the last one on this list. But again, The Farewell is perhaps one of my favorite movies of all time at this point. I haven't gone through my entire list recently, but it's probably within my top 20, if not top 10 at this point. So, yeah, there's that, for sure. <laughs> and with that, we're brought to the final film, which, if I'm being honest, really was the one that inspired me to do this entire list. It is a movie that I have been stricken with since I first saw it, and it is one of the few movies that has genuinely made me feel uncomfortable, hopeful, happy, and feel as if I was stuck in a situation with people. And that is 1917 by Sam Mendes. Now, 1917 was released in 2019, and it follows two soldiers in World War I, as they're along the Western Front, I believe in Northern France. And basically, these two soldiers, a Tom Blake and a William Schofield, are told by their commanding officer that the intelligence that the Allies have is incorrect, and that in an attack that is anticipated for the next morning, so they have only a day, that 1,600 men will die if they do not arrive and inform the commanding officer at that point that this is a trap. Now, that is in the first five minutes of the movie, and it is a very powerful setup because we understand the idea of a war film, we understand what we're in for, and we know that these characters need to get to that point and save these lives. It's very much the classic story of heroism and of valor under fire and things of that nature. But the thing that really does it for this movie for me is that it doesn't pull any punches. Firstly, the most notable thing about it that a lot of people will always talk about is that it is filmed as if it is a singular take. And what that does is it creates this very intimate feeling between you and these two soldiers because you feel like you are part of their squad. You feel like you are in the trenches with them. You feel like you're crossing these fields. And when they're looking around, you feel like they could be attacked at any point and you feel like you will be attacked with them. The sound design also to be commended because of that because when things happen, it is terrifying. It jolted me out of my seat numerous times as I was watching this in theaters. and. It's really just so many things I could rave about this movie, but the thing that always brings me coming back to it is that I am a sucker and a shill for any movie that talks about hope and optimism and putting your life on the line for other people. That in movies, it just, it does something for me that makes me so happy and so soulful and it is weird to talk about, but I don't even know how to explain it. And the thing about that is that 1917 
it balances it. It talks about these ideas of self-sacrifice, but it also shows that it's painful and it's awful. You, pff, I see, I said this was gonna be recommendations and now I'm like doing a deep dive on 1917. But the whole point of it is that you see as these characters go through and suffer with one another and it is very amazing, I think to me in particular, the amount of moments that you experience with these soldiers and you see what they have been going through and it adds so much context to moments where they get to sit down for a second when they're shot at, when they find somebody who's in need, when they finally have somebody to help them. It adds so much warmth and strength to it and it really shows the value of this human interaction and this human support and acting as a team and caring about one another. So yeah, that's me raving about 1917 and a bunch of other movies way longer than I intended to. As I'm sure you can tell, I love all of these movies in different ways. They all talk about different things and are very diverse in what they cover, but they all just hit certain points for me that make me very satisfied with film as a medium and all of that. It's very hard for movies to elicit emotion from me just because I'm very aware that it is, you know, a craft and it is a performance in a lot of ways. And so when you have these movies that truly begin to transcend that and immerse you even with that pre-existing knowledge, it is just, I don't know, transfixing, I guess, for me. But yeah, in any case, for the too long didn't listen version of that, we have Parasite, amazing movie, John Wick Chapter 3, one of the best action movies you'll ever see, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, your classic Quentin Tarantino kind of situation, Joker, your comic book movie if you're feeling in a bad mood, Avengers Endgame if you're in a good mood, your other comic book movie, The Lighthouse if you want to see something kind of trippy, Knives Out if you want a good murder mystery, Midsommar if you want a good way to tell your significant other that you're ready to break up with them, I suppose. The Farewell if you want to see a familial drama that maybe hits a little bit too close to home. And 1917 if you want to, again, have a peek into what was a very challenging situation for a lot of people that really goes uncovered. We don't talk about World War I nearly as much as we talk about World War II or even the Vietnam War in media. And I think just seeing this glimpse of this story that Sam Mendes' grandfather, I believe, had told him, it really, I don't know, it's very poignant for me, at least. But yeah, that is me rambling for way longer than I anticipated. If you have seen these movies, then definitely let me know your thoughts and let me hear how you feel about them. If you hate them, then let me know. I mean, I'm always like, I always like to hear different perspectives and hear, you know, that people had very different experiences from it. So yeah, in any case, um, next week, I will not be doing a deep dive on 1917, even though that's what it sounds like I want to do, but I'll most likely be talking about Hannibal. I'm very excited to finish that up. That show is Again, a masterclass, and it makes you feel weirdly hungry. I know that sounds really sketchy when talking about Hannibal Lecter, but I'll explain that more uh, in the future. In any case, I hope everybody stays well and stays safe. Uh, I know quarantine is still going on for a lot of people, and so please keep yourself protected, care about the people around you, and all of that very cheesy but important stuff, and remember to keep an eye on your self-care. But in any case, thank you for listening and spending the time with me. Oh, do let me know if you enjoyed the uh, longer recordings. I'm still experimenting and figuring out exactly what is the best way to go about this, but I always like to hear feedback and positive reinforcement in any way. So yeah, let me know your thoughts. I hope you all stay well and hope to see you around the tavern sometime soon.